Uh, we're we're going to be looking at down through verse 23 total, but 16 is the main passage, and, and it involves uh, David, who was king at the time, and they were moving the ark. Now, last week, we talked about them moving the ark, and we talked about Uzzah. Remember him? Now, he's the guy that reached out, was helping the Lord out, going to help the Lord out a little bit. He went to, to steady the ark, and it was struck dead. And after that, if you read the, the verses after that, David got really upset. And he was so upset, he stopped the whole parade. Stopped the procession, and that was it. Yeah, that was the end of it, at least for that. And so it would be a while after that that he would go back to it, and this time they would move the ark from where it was, going to move it into Jerusalem. But guess what changed about how they moved the ark? Anybody? They didn't carry it on poles the way they were supposed to. Right. They took it off the ox cart because that was a brilliant idea of the Philistines to put it on the ox cart. And so they got a nice ox cart and said, all right, well, it's on the ox cart, so we'll just pull it on in with the ox cart. Bad idea. So that wasn't the way that God said to do it. That wasn't the way He wanted it done. And you might have looked at that and said, oh, that's a great idea. That's all we'll do. Well, if it's not God's idea, it's not a great idea. If it's not the way that He wants it done, it's not a better idea. And David had to discover that. Unfortunately, it cost a man his life. But because of the way that they were pulling that ark, and because of the way they were trying to move it, and... Uzzah had to take his own individual responsibility for what he did. He was held individually responsible for what he did. But David was angry about it. And it might be one thing to think, I say, well, angry, angry who? Well, David was angry at himself. I believe. I believe he was angry at himself because there's a couple reasons why. I think number one is that he accepted an idea of his enemies as being a better idea than God's. Alright? Anytime you catch yourself doing that, you should be appropriately angry at yourself for letting that happen. So that you can make a different decision in the immediate time, but also make a different decision for the future. And, and you think that sounds silly, but we do it all the time. We do it all the time. That there, there'll be something that comes up and we'll look at it and we'll say, oh, well, that looks like a good idea. Well, yeah, is it God's idea? Did you even bother to ask? Did you even bother to maybe do some research and find out what God's ideas are? Because maybe you should. Maybe it's worth a little time to pray about it. Maybe it's worth a little time to you know, look something up on your phone and the instantaneous concordance that we have now on our phone and do a topical study on something and say, well, what does God have to say about this? It's not like the old days where you had to get out a big dusty book and crack it open. I mean, we can instantaneously just open up our phone and just, just do a topical study on it and figure it out real quick. And is it worth the time? Yeah. Is it worth the energy? Yeah. And so I want to encourage you toward that. Even as we get started, 
It's like we have to take some responsibility for the things that we do. And there are certain things that God wants done a certain way, whether we want to do it that way or not. But that's always a better idea. And you can tell me the other way is more efficient, because, you know, pulling the ark, which wasn't light, pulling it on an ox cart, and having the oxen do all the work, that's more efficient than guys carrying it. And there are a lot of things like that that God, you look at them and say, well, this is going to be easier if we do it this way. Well, sure it is. But is it God's way? And if it's not God's way, then it's not better. If it's not God's way, then it's not, you know, the advancement of how we're supposed to do things. But you look and say, okay, well, what does God say about this? If he said something about it, and he has a way of doing it, then let's stick to it. Let's just stick to that. We don't need to somehow be an apologist for how God wants to do things. We we don't need to somehow try to figure out better ways to do stuff than the way He's already said to do it. And we find out that when we do go in a different direction without Him, that disaster awaits. And others found that out quickly. And so David has stopped the procession. I believe I read somewhere three months. The ark just sat. And then he went back. They did it right. They bring the ark into Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that David was dancing. And the word dance there, it, it literally means to dance in a circle. Or to skip. And so you have this idea. It wasn't... And I want you to get the idea that he was doing some kind of ballet or something. Or, you know, some modern jazz. Or he was tap dancing. He wasn't doing any of those things. He was, you know, just skipping around and dancing in a circle. And that's important that you understand how silly that must have looked. And you should understand how silly it looked. Because it was silly. Because it wasn't done in order to impress anybody. It wasn't done so that the critics could look at David and say, well, that guy, he's got some dancing ability. It didn't matter if he had any dancing ability. He was expressing something before God. He was honoring God. He was worshiping. He was celebrating. And it wasn't unusual for there to be certain types of religious dances on occasions of national blessing. That there were those that would normally perform. And there were almost always women that would perform the dances, the religious dances that were done on these days of national celebration. And so David was doing a couple things that was unusual. One, he's not a woman. He's a man. But he was leading the dance charge. He was leading the way in dancing. He was dancing before the Lord. He was dancing before the Ark of the Covenant that signified the presence of God. That's what he was doing. And it wasn't really a, a coordinated dance. It wasn't something that, you know, he practiced or anything. It was uh, dancing in a circle and skipping around. It was an expression. It was joy. And, and so you look at that, and, you, and, and there was something that was going on in his heart because it was important to him to show God how important He was in it. 
And that's all they cared about. Whole nation watched him. He was a king. But he didn't care. Because he was dancing for an audience of one. And that was God. And we got to get free. All of us. I got to get free. You got to get free. We need to get free to dance for an audience of one. To express ourselves to an audience of one. To to give glory and honor. To tell an audience of one how important He is to me, to you, to us. We need to get free. We need to get free enough to express a, a word of prophecy, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. We need to get free enough to express ourselves in shouting. We need to get free enough to express ourselves in singing and singing in the Spirit. We need to get free enough to express ourselves in dance. Even silly dance. Well, I don't have any talent for dance. You're right, you don't. Dance in a circle and skip around. <laughs> Alright, that's what David was doing. And I'll tell you a little secret. I don't care if you run into each other when you do it. Alright? That is not my hang-up. We had people at church that were really afraid of that. And they'd get upset about it, and they're gone now. And good, Okay? I don't care. I said, if we're dancing, we're singing, we're skipping, we're doing, we're expressing ourselves, I just don't care. And so, you know, be warned. If we ever have an outbreak like that of dancing, if we ever have an outbreak of skipping around, if we ever have an outbreak of people just not caring and it's expressing themselves for an audience of one, and we happen to bump into each other, amen. I just don't care. And I don't want you to care. I don't want you to think about that kind of stuff. I think it hinders us when we begin to think about that kind of stuff. Because it hints at it smacks of decorum. And we really don't have any. Most of us, most of us, most of us are aware enough around us that we're not just going to like, just, just, you know, have a mosh pit on people. Alright? And so just don't worry about it. It's more important that we are free to express ourselves. It's more important to me that we are free to uh, move and to do our thing in front of God. And you know what? With our new setup, you got more room around your seat. Okay? You got more room, so use it. You got more space right around you, so use it. But I want to encourage you, we get together, and let's express ourselves. Friday night, let's express ourselves. Sunday morning, let's express ourselves. I mean... Having like that deadbeat worship is, is not my idea of good worship. Oh, well, yes, brother, but we were in, in contemplative response to, oh, yeah, whatever. You're barely awake. Come on. Let's wake up. Let's express ourselves. Let's have some joy. Let's express some joy. Alright, so, so here's the other side of that. You got David skipping around this in a circle. But then you have Michael, his wife, daughter of Saul, Michael. And it says that he she hated him in her heart. Some of your Bible says she despised him. But hated him in her heart. Now, think about that. Hatred of the heart. That's not, I'm disappointed in you. That's not all... I wouldn't have done it that way. Oh, you look kind of silly. Oh, yeah, you know, I've never seen anybody do that before. It wasn't that. It wasn't any of that. 
It says she looked out the window, saw what he was doing, and hated him in her heart. She despised him for what he was doing. That's pretty serious. That's pretty deep. Deep in her. That's a deep place. That's a deep-seated hatred for her husband, for the king, for the anointed one. Yeah, that, that's pretty bad. And yet it says that she hated him in her heart. Now, why don't you think about over what? What was she hating him over? And we'll look at that in a second, but I want you to begin to think about that. What was she hating? I mean, was it the silly dance? Does dancing in a circle produce hatred in a person's heart? Does skipping around produce hatred in a person's heart? Now, I'm not a big fan of skipping. Alright? And most of you know my story about skipping. Because uh, my son, they, when they, they let him to kindergarten, one of, the, one of the tests they give the kids going into kindergarten is if they can skip or not. But it's some kind of uh, test of dexterity or whatever. And, uh, and so, you know, me and Garrett were down at the school. I took him in and we're signing him up for kindergarten down at a local school in Liverpool there. And uh, the woman's like, all right, so she takes him through some tests, you know, mainly cognitive stuff or whatever. He said, great, because he's young. He, he was born on the last day of November. And that's the last day he can get into the grade, supposedly. And so they were real careful with him because they think, well, maybe he's too young. Maybe he should wait a year. I no, he can go. He's good. He's, he was always a mature kid. And, and so they, they're, they're testing, 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 they finally get to that part, and like, all right, well, get up and skip. And he just looked at me. And I looked at him. I'm like, what? You think, like, hey, have him just get up and skip around the room. I'm like, he doesn't skip. He's like, what now? Like, because he doesn't skip. He's a boy. He doesn't skip. I never thought how to skip. She's like, oh, all right. You know, I try? He's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> if I had known that that was a requirement to get into kindergarten, we'd have gone over it, alright? But I didn't know. He still made it in. But they were, uh, but Michael, when she looked at and maybe he had something to do with skipping, I don't know. But she hated him in her heart. Hated him. And because she considered what he was doing, now listen to this, conduct unsuitable to the gravity of age or dignity of a king. Gravity of age or dignity of a king. Conduct unsuitable. What I just said is a killer to the Holy Spirit. That's what I just said. That's a killer to the Holy Spirit. But when we begin to consider unsuitable conduct because of age or position, that's a killer. And if that goes through your mind, I'm talking mainly to you church people. Hear me. 
But that's been instilled in you, whether you know it or not. You came out of a church situation. Some of that was instilled in you. If that goes through your mind, realize that it's a killer to the moving of the Holy Spirit. It just is. Can God move through anything? Of course He can. But the natural flow of the Holy Spirit is stymied by that kind of an attitude. I do want you to understand that. I do want you to understand that. I don't know about you, but I'm into making it as easy as possible for the Holy Spirit to flow through me and through the people around us when we gather. Alright? That's what I'm into. I want the easiest possible circumstance for the Holy Spirit to break out anytime I'm in His presence and anytime we're in His presence together. I want to make it nice and easy. I do not want to stymie that. I do not want to stand in the way of that. I don't want to hinder that in any way. That attitude that she had when he was dancing with all of his might before the Lord, that hatred that rose up in her heart stymies and hinders the move of the Holy Spirit. And I can talk about her later too. Because we go back to her later in the story. But it's all based on this moment. It's all based on this moment when she allowed hatred into her heart. Because she was embarrassed. Because she was prideful. She allowed that kind of hatred to come into her heart. She decided that she would mock the servant of the Lord, God's anointed. And this was the attitude that came across. This was the emotion that took residence in her, and it was an emotion of hatred toward her husband, toward the king. And I mean, and the Bible says that David was dancing with all his might. Yeah, to think about it in terms of this where he was making violent efforts of leaping. Like violent violent efforts of leaping. In other words, it wasn't just one of those things where you're kind of half jumping. He was really jumping. He was really leaping. He was really dancing in a circle. He was really, and I mean gung-ho skipping around. That's what he was doing. And she was offended by that inner joy that he had being expressed. She was angry about it. Angry. Angry hatred was in her heart. And so over what was she despising him over? Well you think, okay, so he's dancing, he's leaping, he's skipping, he's expressing joy, he's worshiping God. I mean, all of those things. I mean he's he's laid aside. We know this from the account. He laid aside his royal robes. I mean, kings had an outfit they wore. And so, he had his outfit on, and he just laid it aside. And the Bible describes that he had an ephod on of some kind. A plain ephod. And the ephod is kind of interesting because the ephod was something that would be worn by a regular priest. Not even the high priest. Just a regular priest, just a regular servant in the temple or in the tabernacle at the time. 
a regular servant of God. That that's what he would wear. So David put on this regular garment of service, a regular garment that other people would wear, and anyone that engaged in religious service would have that. An example would be Samuel wore an ephod from the time he was a little kid. I'm sure it was a different one as he got bigger, but he, he wore an ephod. And in Samuel as being a prophet, he also was in the office of a priest. He grew up in the temple in the uh, tabernacle with Eli. And so he served in a few different capacities. I mean he was leader of the nation. Now you want to talk about your first prophet and priest. He wasn't a king, he was a judge, but he fulfilled the offices. And so Samuel showed himself to be that kind of a leader. And David now was showing himself to be that kind of a leader also. And so he took off the kingly robes, he put on the plain ephod, and it's described here that he prayed for the people, he prophesied and blessed the people. But that's what his role was then. And he wasn't afraid to lay aside the nice robes in order to take on the prayer, the intercession, take on the, the prophetic blessing over his people. Those priestly roles and, and the prophetic roles that he took on. He wasn't afraid to do that. But I thought it was interesting that he took off the, the garments of the king to do it. To me. That, that he identified with the people at that point. He took on the regular clothing of the people that were around him. He danced before the Lord. He, and with all his might, he skipped and he, he danced in a circle and expressed his joy. And even when he took to the ministry that he was going to take to, and that was praying for the people, prophesying over the people. I mean, he didn't put back on the kingly robes to do that. But he stayed identified with the people that he was ministering to. And we know that Samuel is that way. We know that Jesus is that way. That Jesus never put on any kind of kingly robes. Jesus never put on any kind of real priestly garments at all. But he identified with the people that he ministered to. And there's something important about that. There's something important about being among and with and identifying with people that you want to minister to. Jesus went where they went. He ate where they ate. He spent time with people that nobody else would want to spend time with. I mean, the tax collectors, he went to their house. Not only Levi, but also Zacchaeus. They both of them tax collectors. They went to both their houses. And he was among other tax collectors. And that was a big no-no, and people didn't like that. They probably despised him in their heart. Right. What about Jesus allowing a woman of ill repute to cry on his feet and break a, a big thing of ointment and, and perfume over him and to wash his feet with her hair? You know that those Pharisees in that house hated him in their hearts. Understand that. 
understand that it hindered them from seeing the move of God. It hindered them from seeing what God was doing. It hindered them from seeing God's heart in all that. Just like Michael standing in the window hated him in her heart. She couldn't see what God was doing. She couldn't receive what God was doing. She couldn't participate in what God was doing. And yet you know that there were common people and there were people of Jerusalem standing around and as David was dancing and as they were celebrating and people were singing and sacrifices were being made. And as David identified as just another person in Jerusalem as another person that was a part of everybody that was worshiping God and honoring God. He began to move in prophecy or he moved in, in prophetic prayer or in, in intercessory prayer over the people as one of them. There's a big lie that says, oh, you can't be one of the people that you are trying to minister to. I think you have to be. That's what I believe. I don't know that we have any other good examples of it. The good examples we have, people who are effective, were among the people. And were like the people. And expecting something else or, or, or wanting something else or getting angry because that's not what you're seeing, that is the spirit of Michael. Watch out. Watch out for that in your own heart and your own life. But if you were brought up a certain way, that was infused into you. Watch out. You come from it. You come out of it. You come out of a system where leaders are trying to secure their place in leadership by making themselves different. Be careful. That's not what God called us. Jesus didn't need to secure his place in leadership by wearing a robe. David didn't need to secure his place as king by having on the kingly garment. He just didn't. Samuel didn't have to prove anything to anybody about being a judge of Israel and a prophet and a priest by looking a certain way. He didn't have to. Everybody knew who he was. Everybody respected who he was. Same with David. They knew who he was. They respected who he was. Jesus? Yeah. Jesus. He did not have to set himself apart by what he wore or by somehow elevating himself in the hearts and minds of people. Any authority that any of them have, they earned it. They earned it. David earned it on the battlefield. David earned it through his worship. David earned it through his patience and his honoring of Saul, even when Saul was trying to kill him. David earned that respect. He earned the authority that he had. He wasn't just appointed as a king. He lived it. And he led the people. And they respected him for it. And they loved him for it. Except for Michael. Because who was her father? Saul. He was a scribe authority, but he never earned it. But that's what she knew. That's why you could be careful. If it's what you know, and if that's what you know, you have to be careful. That that does not rise up at the wrong moment. 
It does not rise up at the time when you really need to be just worshiping with everybody else. Let's not hinder the move of the Spirit in our hearts, in our lives, through that kind of hatred and that kind of judgment. So David was singing and dancing and worshiping, celebrating, doing all those things, all expressions of joy that involved him body and soul. When we express joy, it involves body and soul. How do you know, or how can you know, if someone finds something funny? They laugh. There's a physical expression of it. Right? Isn't that normal? Okay. So, if we're going to express joy to God, I'm going to suggest to you that there's physical expressions of that. I'm going to suggest to you there's physical expressions of worship, there's physical expressions of joy, there's physical expressions of thanksgiving. All of those things have physical expressions. That people have to be taught to sit and do nothing in a joyful circumstance. You have to be taught to do that. Children don't do that. If they're joyful, they express it. Because they're children. And that's what children do. But over time, children are generally taught there's a time and a place for that, and there's a time and a place where that's not appropriate. And where's one of the places that they're taught that there's this not appropriate? Church. Church, right. When, <laughs> of all places, it's the most appropriate in church. Of all places. That's where it's the most appropriate is that we express our joy, we express our thanksgiving in church. And there are physical expressions of that. There are, there are expressions of that in, in emotions. There are expressions of that in our, our will, our mind, but there are also physical expressions of all those things. Good things. Good things. People that were closest to the ark in general were happy. Except for Uzzah, of course. Because he was a little too close. But after David left the ark, after he walked away from it, all angry and everything, he left, the guy whose house where the ark was located began to get blessed. There he was getting blessed. And so word got back to David, hey, the guy who is home on the ark is getting blessed. His whole household, his family, he's getting blessed because the ark is there. He's like, all right, well, good. Let's go get it. We'll get it to Jerusalem. So, I know so the tragedy happened. Uzzah was a tragedy. And yet, it didn't change the nature of God's presence. The nature of God's presence is blessing. The nature of God's presence is to bless to provide, to bring peace, to bring joy. The nature of His presence is, is blessing over His people. That's what He does. And that's what His presence is all about. That's why I try to celebrate God's presence every time we meet. We gather in the name of Jesus. He is here in our midst. Let's celebrate His presence. Why? Because there's blessing in His presence. Because there's provision in His presence. There's healing. 
There's wholeness. There's life. And life more abundantly in His presence. And so we want to celebrate that. We want to celebrate the fact that He's here. And so wherever the ark was, there was celebration. Because blessed, happy is the man who is near the ark. And now think about Jesus. You know, Uzzah found out he touched the ark and he was struck dead. Alright, that's what we talked about last week and we discussed how that happened and why that happened. Well, think about Jesus. Jesus is described in the Bible as a stumbling block. To whom? Who is he a stumbling block to? For what reason? Okay. All right. So, so tell me, what's the problem there? He wasn't what they expected. So, in other words, they wanted something else, and so because they wanted something else, they rejected him. He is a stumbling block to those who try to make him in their own image, and he will always be a stumbling block to those who try to make him as whatever they want him to be. There are how many bitter people do you know? Right? So a lot of people bitter at God. Well, when I needed him most, my mom was sick. He didn't heal her. She died anyway. Right? Because he didn't jump through the hoop. He said, Jesus, you know, somebody you've never called on before in your life, but let's call on him. Jesus, heal my mom. He didn't heal your mom. Oh, well, he's mean. I'm not going to serve him, and that's it. Bitter. Angry. A stumbling block. Because he didn't do. He didn't perform. He didn't jump through the hoop. He wasn't made in their image. Because in their image, Jesus was going to heal their mom. But in reality, he wasn't going to heal their mom. And so because he didn't conform to their image, because he didn't perform to their standards, they rejected him. So he becomes a stumbling block. He becomes the stone that the builder rejected. But for us, he's the chief cornerstone. Same stone. Same stone that everybody else trips over, that they reject. He becomes our cornerstone. What does that mean? That means everything that's built is built around him. Not in an image that we've made, Instead of us making Him in our image, we're being made into His image. See, He becomes the cornerstone. And everything grows out from Him. There's a huge difference between those two things. One starts with us. The other starts with Him. And so as the chief cornerstone, you get a foundation laid of the apostles and the prophets, and then each of us are built and forming that spiritual building. Well, right... But he sets the pattern. He sets the angle. He sets the wall. And everything builds out from him. He's the start. So, I think David understood that. I think David understood it. I think David understood that everything that he was ever going to do was because of Jesus. Because of God. He wanted to call him Jesus. But it was because of God. 
who's the God that he served. And I think he understood that his power, his position, who he was in Israel, all came from God. I think he got it. I think he knew that when he was a shepherd out in the field. And God chose him. Last among all his brothers, God chose him. Forgotten about by his father. Samuel saying, Isn't there one? Is there no other? Oh, yeah, there's David. He's out in the field. Almost forgot. But the hand of God was on that. Or as a boy and going out in the battle against a giant, an experienced warrior, and defeating an experienced warrior, cutting his head off with his own sword. You get a feeling that God's with you. You get a feeling there's something bigger, something better going on than what you're figuring out or what you can do. And he's getting it. He understood it. That that was all coming from God. He understood that his position or his place, that if he was ever to be king of Israel, it because of what God's hand had done, not because of his own. And he refused opportunities to take his own hand and to make it happen. He could have killed Saul more than once. And he chose not to because it wouldn't come by his hand. It was going to come by the hand of God. And it did. So he understood. He had a great understanding that everything that he was was coming from God. And so when it came time to lay aside the kingly robe and to, and to minister in the ephod, more than willing to do that. More than willing. Because he was honoring the God that put him where he was. And he knew that. He knew it. He had nothing to lose by worshiping and honoring the God that placed him where he was. What's he going to lose? That's why he was there to begin with. And he had enough sense about him to worship the one that had placed him there. He had enough sense about him to honor the one and not care what other people were thinking about it. His audience of one was the whole reason why he was standing in Jerusalem in the position that he was in. Was that God that he was willing to be silly in front of, and to play in front of, and to dance in front of, and to to take off whatever it is that he had on those royal robes and all that, in order to honor him and worship him and express the joy that was in his heart? He put things in perspective, and the rest didn't matter. Of course, Michael, it mattered to her. Look in verse 20, you see more of her hatred as she despised him. And what you see as she begins to tell David how she feels about it, because I mean, David went and he gave food to everybody, he blessed everybody, he celebrated with everybody, he, he performed the priestly duties, he performed the prophetic duties, he worshipped, and then he went home to bless his own household. And here this woman is, his wife, and she rebukes him for what he's done. Just rebukes him. And what you see on display there is you see the spirit of Saul's house versus the house of David. Because they're two different spirits. Saul and you see this throughout his life and ministry, Saul was worried about what people thought. Always. Always concerned. Always worried. 
Always worried about what people were saying. Always worried about what the people wanted. Always worried. And so he made decisions based on popularity. He made decisions based on what the people were asking for instead of what God said. And so he clamored for that kind of approval. He needed to have it. At least he thought he did. And so his whole house reflected that. Because that's what they had seen, that's what they experienced, that's what they grew up in. And so his daughter, that's all she knew. And, I, and she looked at what David was doing. He was going a whole different direction. He was just doing whatever he was doing. He didn't care what people thought. He didn't care if they approved or not. He didn't care if they thought he was doing the right thing, the wrong thing, or whatever the thing was. It didn't matter to him. And that was super important to him being responsible and a man after God's own heart. He's a man after God's own heart. Not the heart of every man, woman, and child. God. And so in contrast, you see Saul's house. You see Michael despising him and hating him for doing that. And yet, David was, and she said this about it, he was shameless. Shameless. You know, you always think of Jesus, how he endured the cross, despising the shame hating it for what it was and rejecting it. We live in a culture, and I hate to say this, we live in a culture that has gone back to shaming people publicly. And we have got to make some decisions about how we're going to live. If we're going to live afraid of shame, if we're going to live afraid of people shaming us, it's going to be really hard, if not impossible, to live for the gospel, to live for Jesus. But there are just certain things that God requires of us, certain things that God has for us in our lives that the rest of our society is not going to agree with. Sorry. And if we're going to worry about people shaming us, and we're going to worry about what people think about us, it's going to be really, really, really hard. It's going to be impossible to live for Jesus. And so we need to make some decisions now. I mean, you think, you know, we came out of a society a long time ago, hundreds of years ago, that was all based on shaming. It really was. And it seemed like we'd come a long way only to end up where we started. And here we are again. Here we are. We need to make some kind of decisions. A couple of years ago, during the political season, probably two years ago now when it started, there were these signs that were put up that said, shame on somebody. It was one of the political candidates. That's all it said on the sign. And I tracked down whoever was handing those signs out. I just found out. I Googled it and looked it up, found out who was handing them out. And I wrote them an email and basically all the email said was this, have we resorted as a society to public shaming? Is that where we're at? And is that what you're promoting? And the answer must have been yes, because they just kept the signs going. But I guess that's where we're at. Whether or not I agree with the candidate, that wasn't the point. 
whether or not you know he did things that were questionable or he didn't do things that were questionable, that's not the point either. The point is, is that probably the lowest denominator that we have is, oh, we're going to shame somebody. Really? Really, that's okay now. I say it's not. And if people, if they want to do that, they're going to do it, but we have a choice of how we choose to react to that. We have a choice of how much we're going to allow that to affect us in our decisions about what we're going to do. We have a choice. And I want to encourage you that making that decision ahead of time is important so that you're not caught up in the whirlwind of it when it happens to you. And you've already made your decisions, you've already made your choices, and you know where you stand on it. So I encourage you to that. So the spirit of Saul's house versus the spirit of David's house. And according to Michael, David was shameless. Good for him. Good for him. Why did you think he was shameless? Because he wasn't allowing her to affect anything he was doing. Right? He wasn't allowing what people thought to affect what he was doing. He wasn't allowing what people were saying about him to affect what he was doing. He was just going about doing whatever he was going to do. Shameless. Because somewhere along the way, the honor of humility had been lost. Taking off the kingly robes, identifying, dressing, being as everybody else, dancing, expressing joy, weeping, shouting, singing, celebrating. All those things, the, the honor of humility had been lost. The image, the pride, all the things that really just don't matter, don't amount to anything. You know, Michael had no concept, this is where I'm going to end here, had no concept of divine love. The real what David was experiencing of that divine love that David lived in. A love so strong on his life that he would, other people would see him as debasing himself before God. But that's how big God's love was in his life. That he didn't see it that way at all. He was just expressing his joy. He was just expressing his love in return for the love that he'd gotten already. So change the whole way he saw things. He changed the whole way that he experienced things. So go down to verse 23. Right at the end there. And you see David with Michael. And he had responded to her. And then we get to verse 23. And it said that she would remain childless the rest of her life. And this was the, the most, probably the severest privation of their culture for a woman, is that she would have no children. That was a really, really, really serious issue. And one of the worst things that possibly could happen. And that's exactly what happened to her. 
Now, if you know the story, Michael had been given to David as a wife. And when he fled from Saul, and he began to live in the wilderness and in caves, and he was running from Saul, Michael was then given in marriage to somebody else. If you know the story, she was given to another man while David was on the lamb. And when David came back and things were set right, he claimed her again as his wife, because she was his wife. And so she left her husband that she had and went with David because he was the king and he wanted his wife back. Now, what effect that had on her, I have no idea. I know that her husband that he that she'd married after David was really upset about it. And if you read the story you can see how he was upset about it, kind of in a pathetic kind of way. But he was upset. And so, I don't know what kind of effect that would have had on her if this affected this situation at all, but she had, in her pride, mocked the servant of God for whatever reason. And pride, I guess, is a good enough reason. And the spirit of Saul's house was on her. And so, instead of learning, instead of growing, instead of changing her mind, Instead of humbling herself, instead of trying to understand, she just mocked it. Her pride spoke, and she mocked what she saw. And so she was barren for the rest of her life. Now, I've always, and different people disagree about this as far as why she was barren, but it would be my guess that she was barren because David was done with her. That'd be my guess. Now, it could have been supernatural. It could have been that she just didn't have any more children, that God closed her womb, all the rest of that. You can think whatever you want, but it would seem to me that after this moment and after this time, she probably just... She was probably just done. And so she would never have any children. And I want to say this, that there's just no fruit in her attitude. None. Zero. Zero. No fruit. No fruit. That's why we all need to be careful and we need to be aware of and we need to be on guard against that same spirit in us. I mean, if you read what David said there, it's like, yeah, I will play before the Lord. And that means to play. People want to say it means to play an instrument. That's not what the word means. It means to play, to frolic, to be free-spirited and have fun. He says, I'll do it even more. Okay, I won't have any of this. I won't have any of this attitude. I won't have any of this judgment. I won't have anything to do with this. I'm going to be as free as free can be. And I want to encourage you to that. Let's just take a few moments 
and let's just pray. And I challenge you. As I said, if you come from some you know background, we all come from different places, different kind of backgrounds. If you come from a certain background, uh, you just need to be on guard. You need to be aware. You need to purge. Purge. We all need to commit ourselves to the chief cornerstone. We all need to flow out from Him to be free, to play before our God, to worship, to dance for an audience of one. Heavenly Father, I pray that we can enter into a place of truth with you. That everything we have, everything we are, everything we ever will be is because of you. And I just ask God that you teach us not to hold back when it comes to celebrating, not to hold back when it comes to enjoying your presence, not to hold back when it comes to expressing ourselves, body, soul, spirit physical expressions of our love, our devotion, our joy, physical expressions of our thanks before You. The God who would shake off old ideas, would shake off old restraints, would shake off things that we were taught that were just wrong, and be free. I pray a freedom over us. I pray a liberty over us. I pray, God, that we would respond to the Holy Spirit. We respond to You and not worry about the rest. But Jesus, I pray that You would release us to play before You and to frolic and to have fun and to have joy and expression and life. I pray, God, that a, a childlike faith and expression of faith through us, God, that we could dance, God, that we could spin, that we could leap, that we could frolic. I pray, God, that we would express in every way that it's at our disposal that we could express our love and our devotion and our thanksgiving to you. Release us from the past. Release us from judgment. Release us from the spirit of Saul's house. That spirit of Michael that was so angry and bitter and full of hatred that we would be released and delivered in the name of Jesus. I speak deliverance over hearts. I speak deliverance over minds in the name of Jesus. That this spirit would be cast out would be cast down and would no longer influence your people, God. Thank you, God. That we would be free and open and ready and willing. Willing. Thank you. Willing. Thank you, God. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Cleanse us of religious ideas. 
Cleanse us of the things that hinder. Cleanse us of the things that have us hold back. Cleanse us of the things that keep us in our seats all the time. To keep us from expressing ourselves. Cleanse us, Lord God, of the things that stand in the way of the move of Your Holy Spirit in me. In our lives, God. In the midst of Your people. I pray for the Holy Spirit to break out. To break out when we meet. To break out when we come together. To break out even in our personal times, God. Even in our, our times of worship, Lord. When we're together, when we're by ourselves, whenever God, that Jesus should just break out by your Holy Spirit. Through us, God. Through us, that we no longer hinder that or hold that back. We allow you, Lord, to just move. Just move, God. Just move, God. We leave behind, Lord, shame, and we leave behind the, the decorum that the rest of the world says we're supposed to have. Just leave it behind. Let me say, happy way, God. Thanks, Lord. You are the Alpha, the Omega. Thank you. Yeah, we are. We ask, Lord, to. Yeah. We ask God we would uh, enjoy. We would enjoy. More and more. We ask in Jesus' name. Let's agree with an amen. 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 Alright, God bless you. Good to see everybody tonight. Thanks for coming. And we'll see you again. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. Alright. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters... You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community dad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University... UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah. 